listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. Well, my husband Craig is snowboarding in Japan at the moment. I know. You may be thinking, how could he leave his pregnant wife and two children and do that for 10 days? That's a great question. But <laughs> we, we planned uh, the trip uh, before I was pregnant, but uh, he, he has worked so hard to get on this trip. It's been a dream trip for him. I'm so happy. And just so you know, he is an amazing husband. He, is, he has done everything possible to try and make it as easy for me. He gave, left me little vouchers in the bottom of his drawer uh, and texted me on the way out of the airport. These are for you to have while I'm away. He sent me flowers. He organised somebody to take the kids yesterday. So I could do prep. So I will ride the guilt bandwagon for as long as I possibly can. There's a little one coming in a few months' time, so there'll be there'll be lots of room to make up for it, but he's having an awesome time. But we found out uh, last week that uh, the little one that we're having, number three, is going to be a little boy. And uh, if you uh, have been at church the past few weeks and at retreat, we kind of shared how our five-year-old daughter, Hope, just had her heart set on a little girl. And so I just wanted to show you the photo of the reaction uh, that happened in that... <laughs> I know. And it was, it was utter sobbing for five minutes. It wasn't just a momentary like, oh, uh, that's devastating. It was for five minutes. And Zion was the complete opposite, like, yeah, I got my brother. Um, and then in prayer requests last week in our kids' church, after we had found out, uh, our kids' pastor, Lane, sent me an email with Hope's prayer request that said, uh, God, I pray for our dog, Sky. I pray that mum feels better with the baby in her tummy. And I pray that they never say it's a boy again. <laughs> so <laughs> she's, she's still holding on to her hope. But, you know, I love, I love that example because we, we laugh at it because we see it from a higher perspective. We realise that it's just that innocence of a little five-year-old girl that so wants it her way. But as soon as she meets that little brother, she'll be besotted, she'll be infatuated with him. And it's going to be gold for the 21st to look back on because they will be best little mates. But it's funny because we see it from a higher perspective. And I felt God say at the beginning of this year that as a church, that as a group of individuals, He was wanting to take us to a higher perspective, to a greater perspective, to a perspective that actually matched His And I love what Pastor Paul spoke at retreat about the mountain, that it's the breath of God. The issue, I love that statement he made, that the issue of the mountain isn't the mountain. It's the issue of breath. Because the higher you go, the more you need the breath and uh, the power of the presence of God. But what I love is when we go to new heights and we have that fresh breath, it also means a new perspective. It means a higher and a greater perspective. And I felt God as I was preparing this message, I felt God nudge me on the heart and saying, hey, I want you to see from a new point of view, a God's eye view. See, we have the saying, you know, seeing from a bird's eye view that's from above, looking down. But I felt God stir me saying, we've got to see from a new view that's a God's eye view. 
And it can be so easy to get caught up in how we see things, our narrow, limited perspective that we miss out so much on what God wants to do through us, what God wants to do in us, because our perspective is so limited. I love what Colossians 3 verse 1 to 2 says. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. But how easy is it to get so caught up in our perspective? To get so caught up in our, what we see, what we've always known, maybe what we've always been told, what the crowd has told us, maybe our past experiences, maybe the things that we've just always known without kind of challenging them. And we get locked into this low perspective And we get consumed in just being in this place, not realising that God wants to take us to a higher perspective. You know, what I find is sometimes what we try and do is we actually try and lower God to our perspective. You know, so we'll say things to God like, man, God, if you really cared, you'd give me the miracle that I want. If you really cared, you'd come through with this prayer request that I desperately need. You know, we say things maybe like, You know, God, I I know you want me to live a blessed life, so you're just all good with me pursuing what I want to do, eh? And we maybe try and justify temptation by saying, you know, hey, God, this kind of has presented itself to me, and I know it kind of goes directly against your word, but you know, you're a God of grace and love, so I know it's all going to be all good. I know it's going to be sweet. And you know what? It just feels right. You know, so often our perspective is linked to what we feel is right. So much of today is about our feelings. How often are we asked, well, what's your feeling about it? What's your opinion about it? And the harsh thing about that is it gives us no paradigm to live our lives by. It gives us no compass about how to live our lives and where to go. It just causes us to go round and round in circles in the same patterns of behaviour, not going to a new place in Him. See, what I love is that God never says in His Word that what you feel matters. He never says it. It's about what He thinks that matters. So it actually is not about my opinion and what I think is right. It's actually about what He thinks and what He says and what He wants me to do. And as I start to live like that, as I actually start to take on His perspective, you find that you go to new heights in Him. You find that He takes you to this new place, to this new perspective, where all of a sudden you're seeing things in a completely different light. And I can do this because my husband's not here, because he would be killing me right now if he was here. (gasps) But you see things in a whole new way when you start to see things as God sees them. Will you take on His perspective, not your perspective? See, it's what what matters is what He thinks, not what I think. What He says, I better not get too excited up here. What matters is how He sees things. And come on, how often do we actually ask ourselves in situations and with things and with beliefs we've had and things that we're struggling with, actually, what does God say? 
Actually, what does he think about this? Because at the end of the day, it does not matter what I think. What matters is what he thinks. Because he is the God that is good. He is the God that is great. He is the God that loves us. He's the God that's got so much greater for us. He's the good Father that can be trusted. I love what he says in Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9. Many of us will know this, but my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. And we've got to embrace his perspective to go to new heights in him. Come on, I was on the mountain that Elijah called down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. But he had such a faith perspective that he said, drench the altar first, overflow it with water. Come on, it was on the mountain that Abraham was going to sacrifice his son because he knew that God was good and that God was the provider. And God proved himself faithful. It was on the mountain that Jesus gave the, the sermon about um, the, the new servant like in Matthew 5, leading the way of the Old Testament and introducing what the Old Testament and how he was bringing fresh life from the Old Testament rules and regulations, breathing his spirit into it. Come on, there's something exciting that happens on the mountaintop. But the mountaintop needs a new perspective. It needs a new way of seeing things. See, change in us actually comes from a shift in perspective, not behaviour modification. You know, if you look at the example of eating healthy, you know, discipline in eating healthy will only last a certain amount of time. But if we actually were to change our perspective in eating, Instead of seeing food as something that just tingled the taste buds and we used for our pleasure, actually seeing it as a source of fuel for our body, it would change completely how we uh, interacted with food. And it comes from a change in perspective, not a change in behaviour. That one's still got to click for me fully. But it's the same in life. So often we try and change our behaviour rather than changing our perspective. And I feel God asking us this morning, come on, what's the change in perspective that you need? What are some of the things that you've got caught up, same cycles that you're living in, and there's a change of perspective that's needed? Maybe it's to do with how you see yourself. Maybe it's to do with how you see others. Maybe it's to do with how you see the future, how you see your past, how you see the God opportunity, the God dream in front of you. What perspective needs to change in you? Come on, what's God wanting to put His finger on? Because, man, my prayer is that, like in 2 Kings chapter 6, the story of this entire army being against Israel and Elijah's, uh, Elisha's servant says to Elisha, freaking out, oh my gosh, an entire army surrounds us. And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes that he would see the true reality. And he opens his eyes and he sees the army of heaven all around him, far greater than the natural army. And my prayer is that our eyes would be open to truly see from that God perspective that no longer would that low perspective, our perspective limit us, 
contain us, but there would be something that would shift, something that would break, something that would unlock the God perspective that we need to see from. And it would truly bring change. So what I want to do is just look at from a God's eye view what it means. Seen from a God's eye view, the first thing, it's a shift in priorities. So often our priorities are based on our needs. So much of the agenda that we live our day by is based on what I want and I need. I need to eat, what I need to do for my enjoyment, what I need to earn so I can get what I need and I want, who I need to hang out with because I enjoy hanging out with them, they make me feel good, what I need to learn so I can do what I enjoy better myself, what my task list has on it for the day. But I want to challenge us this morning with a God's eye view. How many of our priorities actually line up with God's priorities? You know, if we look at the Bible about God's priorities, it always came back to people and those that did not know Him. And how much of our priorities line up? I'm challenging myself here. How much of our priorities line up to that priority? Now, when Jesus walked the earth, He would stop whatever He was doing to interact with somebody, to love somebody, to give somebody hope, freedom. You know, He would stick up for those that were mocked by the religious leaders. And, you know, it's cool in this day to stand up against bullying, but it wasn't back then. It was the unpopular thing to do. But Jesus did it. He intervened for the sake of people. He gave him himself beyond exhaustion, beyond fatigue, beyond hunger. He gave himself the perfect example, John 4, uh, the story of the Samaritan woman coming to the well and Jesus is tired and he's hungry. His disciples have gone to get him food. She comes and in his hunger and his tiredness, he offers her salvation. And, and then the disciples come back and they're like, we've got food. He's like, I'm not hungry anymore. My will is to do the will of the Father. Look around you, the harvest is ripe. We live in a day-to-day where the harvest is ripe. There are people all around us that need our God, that need desperately need our Saviour, that are desperate for an answer, desperate for freedom, and we hold the answer. But we get so locked up into our priorities and our agenda that we don't see as our God sees, that we don't see from His perspective. My love, what John 4 says, my will is to do the one of the... uh, Sorry, my will is to do the will of the one that sent me. How many of us are prepared to have our will replaced by His will? It's such a challenge. But that's where we experience true life. That's where we experience true fulfillment, true meaning, true purpose, where we die to our will and we take His will up. I mean, at our Christmas production uh, this last year, it was just such an amazing time to invite people that don't go to church. And I've got lots of friends at school that I've been very intentional with building relationship with that don't know God. And and so I invited them all and just none of them were able to come because it was a busy season. And so the Friday afternoon before production, it had been full on that whole week, 11 o'clock nights at rehearsals, full on with the kids. And I was picking up the kids from school that Friday afternoon and I was just wanting to get out of there because there was so much to do. I was tired and 
And I was like, I think eight weeks pregnant just in that space. And I saw a friend that I hadn't seen for ages. And I just felt the prompt of the Holy Spirit. Hey, stop, chat with her. And so I just took the time to stop and chat. And, and I invited her to the Christmas production. And she was like, yeah, we'll come. She's a single mum with two boys. And so they came that night. They sat in the second row and they just absolutely loved it. The boys thought Craig was the funniest guy ever because he said that, you know, like it doesn't make you a Christian if you come to church. Like it doesn't make you a whale going to SeaWorld. And they thought he was awesome. And, but in that, in that service, she ended up giving her life to Jesus, walked out with a Bible. And you know what? The difference, what stirred me so much was the difference between when she walked in the service and when she walked out. Chatting to her afterwards, there was such joy, such happiness, such like, wow, I've never experienced this before. Such freedom. We have this incredible gift to offer people, this amazing gift that our Saviour has given us. But we get so busy with our agenda that we don't see what we have to offer. And I'm challenged by it as well, but how much is that our priority? Because at the end of the day, that's what it all comes back to. We're gonna go to heaven one day and who are we taking with us? How much of that conviction stirs our heart? How much are we listening for the cries of people? How much are we intentionally building with people so they'll actually let down their walls and allow us to speak into their world? Craig was telling me that on this snowboarding trip, they've been going back country a lot and I made him promise me that there'd be no avalanche risks at all, but hoping that's still the case. But one at one point of the trip, he said they came off the back of a scene where a guy had got separated from his mates and had gone into this valley and fallen into this valley and he'd actually got into a place where a river was running under the snow and he'd fallen into the riverbed underwater with uh, snow all piled on top and he was yelling at the top of his voice and his friends couldn't uh, locate him. They could hear his cries, couldn't locate him. And fortunately, other people came along who heard they were close enough to hear where he was and half an hour, 30 minutes later, they buried him out. But you know, I thought of that story. How many of us are just going along in the ride of life and we're not tuned to those cries going on around us? Like Craig said to me, that guy would have been finished if those cries hadn't have been heard. That is a challenge. I know we can have so much going on in our lives, but it's when we start to live for something greater that those challenges start to diminish in the light of eternity, in the light of what really matters. And I know sometimes it can feel like, well, where do I start? Just start by intentionally building relationship with people. Doesn't mean, you know, we have to go to people and tell them, hey, this is the gift of salvation, the gift of the gospel. Just be real with people, build friendship, build relationship and be intentional about it. Invite them to church, invite them to things. But our shift in priorities, you know, good questions to ask ourselves, things that I ask myself is how much of my day is about others? Come on, how much of the decisions that I make are about others? How much of the day do I intentionally take to connect with others that's beyond getting a task done? 
And the last one, but so critical, how often do I pray for those who don't know you? And I know it's a challenge, but I want to be challenging us in this area. Come on, we can't keep so in the ride of our life that we miss the cries of people. Let's keep our agenda, God's agenda. Is this making sense? The second thing in a God's eye view is it's far bigger than us. It's far greater than us. You know, sometimes we don't take the time to think about just how limited and finite we really are compared to who our God is. You know, for example, we have the limitations of time and space. God has none of those limitations. He lives outside of all those factors and we are so limited in our own understanding. I actually phoned Cy Rogers yesterday in a chat to him about this. He's something something he's very passionate about. And if you don't know Cy Rogers, he's one of our pastors on team and uh, his, his past... Um, is an incredible past. He, uh, from a young age, was abused. He lost his mum and he got to the point where he was living, about to marry a man, living as a woman and about to undergo a sex change. And God intervened in his world two weeks before that operation was about to happen and he found Jesus. And today he's a granddad living an amazing life with his wife, ministers all over the world speaking God's truth. And so I asked him this about perspective and he says, perspective, God sees the whole picture. We only see a slice through our bias perspective. Einstein said the finite cannot grasp the infinite. We are restricted, limited, God is neither. We worry and fret, God has done neither. We attempt to control outcomes, but this is like swimming in the middle of the ocean. It is insignificant in outcome. We try, but God succeeds. We want short-term solutions. Now God tends to work in the long-term and human terms. We are corrupted, He is not. We fear death, He does not. We get worn out and cynical, He does not. Humans enjoy some kinds of sins, but He does not. We Stumble and self-control. God is always self-control. Humans are self-interested. God is others interested. Come on, how awesome is our God? How amazing is our King? But yet we can get so caught up in what we think and our limited understanding that sometimes we even dare to question God. You know, we dare to fight back at Him on things and question why is this and why is that when we will never understand it all in our own limited finiteness. We will never understand it. He is far greater and knows it all and He can be trusted. Now, driving with my daughter yesterday, my five-year-old daughter, she pipes up from the back seat. Mum, I'll tell you how to drive, Okay and starts to say, you go into this lane and then you stay in that lane and you just hang there for a bit, had no idea what she was talking about. And so I said to her, babe, don't talk about something that you do not understand. And you know, sometimes we can be like that in life. We can be the drama queens in the back trying to tell God how it should go. You know, trying to say, hey God, what's going on here? Because this isn't quite working out. And God's in the driver's seat and He's like, just let God control. Just let me take the wheel. Allow me to lead you where I want to lead you. Start to see as I see things. Start to lift your eyes to a new level. Start to get to a higher perspective in me. Come on, let's not question Him. Let's trust Him. 
trust that His ways are greater, that His ways are more for us. You know, I've seen too many people go through really tough stuff and blame God for it. And the only outcome I've seen when this happens, and I understand it, and the most awesome thing about our God is He wants us to be real with Him. He wants us to come with Him, to Him with our lack of understanding and our realness and our attitudes, but He doesn't want us to just settle there. He wants us to trust Him in it so that we can move on. And every time that I've seen others go through bad, hard stuff and blame God for it and get stuck in that place, it just ends up in the cycle of misunderstanding, the cycle of lack of peace, the cycle of just not getting out of it. And it's not a good, it's not a good thing. Come on, we've got to trust leads to goodness. Trust leads to more for our lives. We've got to keep getting out of our natural perspective lifting ourselves out of the natural, focusing on eternity and on the supernatural. Like 2 Peter 3 verse 11 to 13 says, since everything here today might well be gone tomorrow. God, how often do we think like that? I know I don't think about often enough. Since everything here today might be gone tomorrow, do you see how essential it is to live a holy life? Daily expect the day of God, eager for its arrival. The galaxies will burn up and the elements will melt down that day, but we'll hardly notice. We'll be looking the other way, ready for the promised new heaven, the promised new earth, all landscaped with righteousness. And how much are we looking forward to that day, to that eternity? Because like the Bible says over and over again, that's what we've got to be living for. And we lift to a higher perspective, it makes life easier. We don't get stuck in the small stuff. We don't get overwhelmed by the small stuff because we see from a higher perspective. Stuff doesn't offend us like it used to offend us because we see from a greater perspective. People don't irk us like they used to irk us because we're seeing from a different perspective. Come on, we're not just trying to get from them something that we need. No, we get that from our Saviour. Come on, when we live like this, our family's different, our lives are different, everything is different because we see from a higher perspective. We've got to keep lifting ourselves out of the natural into the eternal. So questions again, really good questions to ask ourselves of how much we're lifting our perspective to a heavenly one, an eternal one. How much do we live trusting Him? And how much are we valuing His church? Because you know, His church is about His kingdom coming here on this earth. That's why I love His church. It's about the eternal, meeting the natural. And because of it, it we need to constantly ask ourselves, am I prioritising it like I need to? Because again, it can be so easy to cons- get consumed with everything else going on in our lives and not prioritise what God asks us to prioritise. Ephesians 1 verse 20 Again, church is his idea. At the centre of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Come on, the church is the centre of how he sees things. Let's keep it that priority. Let's keep it with that emphasis. And the last thing is that it's far greater than us, but it comes back to us. At God's eye view, it's far greater than us, but it comes back to us. 
We have such an incredible purpose being here on this planet. I love what Douglas Adams, a comedian, he says, the fact that we live at the bottom of a deep gravity well on the surface of a gas-covered planet going round a nuclear fireball 90 million miles away and think this is normal is obviously some indication of how skewed our perspective tends to be. Come on, this is not normal. The lives that we live, how can we think that we are just accidentally here? How can we think that just by some random happening, we got here? There is incredible design. There is incredible purpose to your life. There is a reason why you are here. Come on, with this baby coming, it's a miracle that you give birth to a a child, the cells, the organs, the health of it. But even more miraculous than that is that God breathes a spirit into that life. Come on, how amazing that we have a spirit. There's that, there's that part of us that lives beyond our body, that seeks out more, that cries out, that says there's got to be something more to this life than just what I naturally see. Come on, how amazing is it that we live like that, that we have spirits, that we are more than these bodies. And come on, we've got to keep seeing out of our spirit man, not just our natural man. Because you have been designed with incredible purpose. One of the things that kills me is seeing people not realise their value. Not realise how perfectly, uniquely designed you have been. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. Even though people may have made you feel like that, you have a God, you have a Creator that designed you perfectly, uniquely, wonderfully. I read this story this week of Andrew Carnegie, who's one of the greatest industrial revolutionists. And he made an amazing discovery in the process of making iron. See, flu cinder was a waste product in the iron making process that used to be dumped in piles outside of his plant. But puddle cider was used three to one in making iron, but was incredibly expensive. So Carnegie thought, what if the flu cider, the waste, could be used instead of the expensive element? So he hired a research chemist who discovered that it was even better than puddle cider in making iron. Carnegie then brought piles of it, in which what was seen as a waste became an incredibly valuable element in the iron-making process. What others saw as waste, he saw as valuable. Now you have a God that sees you as so incredibly valuable. You know, who told you that you were a waste? Who told you that you didn't have a purpose? Who told you that you were a mistake? Who told you you weren't gifted enough? Who told you you were just average? Who told you you were just gonna float by in life and just make it, not really do anything with your life? Who told you that you were kind of just one of the minimal? Who told you that? It was never your Creator. It was never your God. See, we have an enemy that from the beginning of your life, he's tried to make you believe that lie that you are nothing, that you are wasteful by maybe things uh, people told you, maybe by how people have treated you, maybe how the world tries to fit us into a, a perfect standard, maybe a box of success that the world tries to place us into. But that was never your Creator. Your Creator sees you as perfect. If I could have the keys up, that'd be awesome. We have a God that adores you. There is a world that tries to tell us opposite. But you have a God that sees you as fearfully, wonderfully, perfectly made. I love what it says in Sephaniah 3 verse 17. The Lord your God 
will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You've got a God that delights in you. When you were in your mother's womb, handcrafted you together. You're not just a product of a factory, of an assembly line. No, you were handcrafted together. Perfectly, wonderfully designed for an incredible purpose for an incredible purpose of living out His will for you here on this life. Listen to what it says in Romans 8, verse 29 to 30. God knew what He was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love Him, love Him along the same lives as the life of His Son. The Son stands first in the line of humanity He restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in Him. How amazing is that? The original intended shape of our lives to be like Christ. How incredible. After God made that decision of what His children should be like, He followed it by calling people by name, the uniqueness that we were crafted with. After He called them by name, He set them on a solid basis with Himself. And then after getting them established, He stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what He had begun. We've always had an original design, an intended outcome, and it's to be like Christ. We're made in His image. Our design is to be like Him. And yet we dare question our worth. How amazing does our God see us that He designed us to be like His Son? What worth, what a purpose. And you know, even as mature Christians, we can lose that wonder that day by day, we are being made more like Him. That is our purpose for walking out this Christianity, day by day, being made like Him. And one of the other things I love in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, it says, we're speaking for Christ Himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. We have a God who delights in us. He sees us. He desires us. He's got a purpose for us. He has relationship for us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.